0: Welcome to Behavioral Health in the New Normal, a podcast developed by Prestige Community Resources aimed at bringing healing back to our community through knowledge, expert advice, and positive messaging. The show is a joint venture between the Department of Behavioral Health and Prestige Community Resources, funded by SAMHSA in response to the challenges currently impacting our communities hosted by Paul Wells Sr., who uses over 30 years of extensive clinical social work experience to conduct insightful interviews with experts and professionals on a wide range of topics that impact the Washington, D.C. community, from behavioral health crisis to education to financial hardship and anything in between. This show will provide information and insights that will surely make a difference in your life.
1: I wanna welcome everyone back to the podcast series offered by Prestige Community Resources in conjunction with the Department of Behavioral Health in Washington, DC. Family, I am so excited. We have a wonderful guest, an expert in our midst who's gonna talk today about domestic violence. And we're gonna focus about how the pandemic has influenced some of the new trends with domestic violence. But let me introduce you to the extraordinary Marsha Woodland. Ms. Woodland, welcome, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm, I'm peaceful. You know, I want That's to let good. everyone know that you are a nationally recognized orator and trauma survivor who shows the world that trauma survivors can and do recover. We do. Yeah, we do. Listen, before we get into the meat of things, can you tell everybody about where you're from and uh, where you grew up and, and how, you, how you got into this domestic violence niche and, and, and uh, how, where did it all start?
2: Well, I'm from Waldorf, Maryland. I grew up in the DMV in some of the most economically depressed neighborhoods in Washington, D.C.
1: I've
2: lived in various wards in the city, and right now I live in Prince George's Mm -hmm. County, but of course my heart is in D.C.
1: That's right, okay. And did you go to school here in
2: DMV in Waldorf? You went to school in Waldorf? I went to school in Washington, D.C. Okay, okay. Yeah and the way that i came to be a part of the domestic violence movement mm-hmm. is i was a victim first okay an advocate third okay
1: okay very good i want to hear a little more about that but why don't we for the audience benefit can you define and describe what exactly is domestic violence people have different ideas of what it is what is domestic violence
2: Well, um, domestic violence sometimes referred to as intimate partner violence. And some people mistakenly call it family violence. Um, It's a form of violence where the offender exerts power and control over the victim. And that could be emotionally, economically, physically, or sexual.
1: Okay. And the perpetrator could be male or female
2: absolutely and the victim can be male or female
1: right and it it could be of any age range it could be a younger couple or or union it could be an older couple um and so does domestic violence always include a physical component is there does always have to be physical to be defined domestic violence
2: not at all
1: okay So so verbal abuse emotional abuse is a part of the um portfolio of domestic violence it is yeah yeah what what are some of the long-standing impacts that domestic violence has on the victim
2: uh, fear anxiety distrust yeah. shame guilt mm-hmm. depression they question their judgment that's um, right yeah right. and then with all of that comes the physical health issues and disparities as well yeah
1: so accurately said you know i've i've had enough encounters with victims and perpetrators uh but from the victim stance i've seen many times that the victim of domestic violence has a real difficult time leaving the relationship in some instances what would lend itself for someone to just stay in a domestic violence situation
2: Well, many times there are social factors that impact a victim's reasoning for staying. Mm -hmm. If I'm financially dependent upon my abuser or offender, I mean, we're quick to tell people to leave from the place that the victim stands, leave and do what? Leave and go where? You know? Um sometimes i stay because i know that i cannot provide for the children sometimes i stay because i really don't know any better if i came from a family where violence in the home was the norm Mm -hmm. then nothing is out of order you know i don't think i deserve any better or i believe if i could just do what he said then i won't set him off um if we're gonna ask someone to leave we need to have something to put in place of them leaving
1: that's right you know that's right yeah no that makes that makes a lot of sense uh, because uh, in, in many cases the victim is dependent on the perpetrator the resources just just I, and i can imagine how daunting it must be to to leave that to an unknown Um, where do I go from here? And how do I uh, protect my children? And wow. Now, did I hear you correctly when you said that the women can be perpetrators of domestic violence against men? We don't hear that too often.
2: Yeah, but it's true. And the reason why we don't hear it so often is because of, you know, sexism and stereotypes. Uh Men are less likely to report domestic violence than women are yes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and when they do report it i would imagine it's really difficult yeah you know
1: because of the stereotype now we know the pandemic i'm sure has influenced uh in some way what what has been the impact of the pandemic on domestic violence trends and what does the data say
2: data on domestic violence it's tight-lipped -hmm. And I believe it's for funding purposes, political purposes, and things of that nature. That's not information you will be able to just go and easily find. You have to dig, dig, dig for the data. Okay. However, the way the pandemic with domestic violence is a pandemic within a pandemic. Mm. That's what some experts are saying. Yeah. And ironically, instead of the numbers going up, as far as calls, they're actually going down. Mm. And that's not to say that instances of domestic violence have gone down. The opportunity, the availability, and the safety of being able to reach out and call Mm. to ask for help or resources or for education. Victims don't have that opportunity right now because they're sheltering in place with their offenders, some of them. So, yeah. So, Calls so the, are going down.
1: In some cases, they're almost like a hostage to the situation. There really is no exit. Um, the resources aren't readily available, and we already know that's just across all systems. Just trying to uh, access resources has been uh, very uh, difficult because of the pandemic, and and um, you know it limits how many people can get access and the resources available. Um, that's interesting that the reports of domestic violence or the requests for support have decreased during the pandemic.
2: Oh, I never would have even thought that. What can we do? Um, I think if I had to pick one thing, it would be to effectively safety plan with victims, people who are already in the system for domestic violence.
1: Mm-hmm, of mm-hmm.
2: course, we want to prevent domestic violence From occurring ever, but for people who have already been impacted by it, safety planning is key. Yes,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Can you can you share with us, and and hopefully you can. What was the the moment or the the circumstance that allowed you to break free, you specifically, from a domestic violence situation?
2: Well, there were some other social factors that kept me going back to that abusive relationship Mm. and once i addressed that social issue right i became stronger okay and uh, i could think more clearly okay and i was surrounded by the right people
1: can you imagine if the pandemic was active at that time, how that might have um, dictated your your exit plan? Would it would it have had an impact, do you think?
2: Oh, absolutely. I would have been less likely to leave right. at that time had I been in a pandemic. Oh,
0: wow.
2: And at the time that I left, I didn't have a safety plan, Um I wasn't sure what was going to happen. At that time, I think my faith was stronger than it had ever been before. And I felt confident that the people who got it placed in my life, that they were going to be with me no matter what. And Mm -hmm. so I walked out with the clothes on my back Hmm. because they would hold my stuff hostage, my purse, everything. And I, I just, I had had enough. Yeah, you know yeah. one lick too many upside my head and i had become the abuser because i ended up throwing a big pot of spaghetti sauce hot spaghetti sauce Goodness. on this person with no yeah. clothes on and i was like i can't go down this path oh no. and, and and i left
1: they yes. tell me in treatment that recovery begins once you make a decision and so it sounds like that moment uh Uh, when you made a decision, you know what, I'm not going to live like this anymore, I can't tolerate living like this anymore, began your journey in a recovery. Because there's a recovery process, I imagine, that you have to undergo when you've left the domestic violence situation and try to reclaim your sense of self, right? Because domestic violence, I'm sure, stripped you of a lot of uh, uh, characteristics and components that you need to navigate life. Just, just, just one thing I can think of maybe is just confidence. I need confidence in na- that navigate life. If I'm not confident, how can I accomplish certain tasks that are in front of me? And so what does the recovery experience look like for someone who's been the victim of domestic violence? I know it's different in various person to person, but generally what was what the most helpful course of recovery?
2: Well, for one, for providers and family members who are trying to support a survivor of domestic violence Mm -hmm. in rebuilding their lives, um, it is very important not to allow your help to be coercive or manipulative or judgmental. Um, We don't want to experience power and control in recovery like we did during abuse. You know your help should not seek to control me Mm -hmm. collaborate with me share the power with me don't make me do anything don't make me go to a safe house in order to get a protective order
0: right
2: don't make my safe housing be dependent upon me getting a protective order and a lot of times that's what stops victims from even going through the process
1: Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm yeah now, if if we uh, recognize or sense that a loved one, a family member of ours, or a co-worker or neighbor is being subjected to, to uh, domestic violence, what would be some of the signs that we might notice? Um, you know, it's my neighbor. She might have a black eye, or you might. How do you, how can you pick up if someone you know is being violated in that way?
2: Well, one of the glaring signs is if you have someone who is generally in touch with you on a regular basis, you guys hang out together, do things together, and that abruptly stops, especially when they get involved with a new person. Okay. If you notice that they're not able to go anywhere or do anything yeah, absent of this person. Yep. You know, those are two very glaring signs. And then one that I've always found present in the relationships that I've had with domestic violence when they're in a hurry to lock you down.
1: Look at that. You
2: know, you don't even get a chance to get to know them and they're already in love.
1: Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, red
2: flags, red flags, red flags.
1: Yeah, no, that's important. I hope the audience really... (laughs) took note of some of those things. Listen, in closing, are there re- resources available right now uh, to anyone who might have a need to uh, uh, depart from a domestic violence situation? And if so, what are some of those
2: resources? Well, buildingbridges that's my nonprofit organization. We have okay. some emergency funding um, right now. So that's Building Bridges, the number four, letter u.org. The DC Coalition Against Domestic Violence, that's a major resource. The National Network in Domestic Violence, that's another great resource.
1: Okay. As
2: well as loveisrespect.org.
1: Loveisrespect.org, mm-hmm. okay. Now, I know when people get a chance to view this podcast and listen to the, my podcast, they might want to reach out to you more directly or make some kind of contact with you and your organization. What's the best way to reach you? What's your contact information?
2: Well, they can reach me from the contact section of my website. Okay. So the website, or they could send an email to info, I-N-F-O, at buildingbridges, the number four, letter org.
1: Well, I wanna salute you, Marshall Woodland, for your, your commitment uh, to those who are suffering and being victimized uh, through domestic violence. And it's remarkable, your story, I'm sure when you share it with those who you work with specifically, it, it's empowering. Your transparency is really, uh, you know, again, remarkable, and I'm sure helps move a person from point A to point B. We thank you for joining us today. Thank you for your service. And I encourage people to reach out to Ms. Woodland uh, if you have a loved one who is in need or if you have a need to um, uh, get out of a, a volatile domestic violence situation. Ms. Woodland, we wish you the best. And to our audience, if you want more information about who we are at Prestige, please visit our website at prestigecommunityresources.org. Thank you for joining us today. It has been a pleasure. Until next time. Stay safe, stay well. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.